And this evening, we begin to dive into Romans 2, uh, led by the uh, ever uh, Chrysostom quote-ready Reed Davis, <laughs> uh, which I'm glad that Chrysostom is kind of our patron saint for this study. Uh, but let's first start off with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind. With the pure light of thy divine knowledge, open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings, and plant also in us the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and to you do we ascribe glory together with your fathers from everlasting and you're all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. Amen. That prayer, I think I've talked about it a few times, but that's the prayer that's read before the gospel, the priest does silently at the altar. But the themes there, I feel like, are very uh, Pauline slash Roman and um, very adequate, especially since we're at the very beginning chapters of Romans, to trample down carnal desires and enter upon a spiritual manner of living. So, Reed, please take us away. That's a, a good um, introduction to Chapter 2 of Romans. Okay, let's see here. So let me bring up the uh, scripture reading here. Um, <clears throat> we're going to try to treat Romans 2 sort of in three sections. The first section being verses 1 to 16, though I'm going to break that up a little bit. Would someone be willing to read to us verses 1 through 11, please? I could do that. Okay. You, you going to go, Eric? Uh, I can. Go ahead. There for my cornbread. <laughs> Therefore, you are inexcusable, O oh man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself the wrath and the day of wrath and re revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient, patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey it in righteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Thank you. Okay, so... Um... The very first verse very clearly follows from something that came before. Do you remember the context we're working in here? 
creation as well i would almost say creation as a witness kind of like in the old testament where god will and when he made his covenant with man with uh, especially with um israel calls as witness the heavens and the earth like he does at the beginning of isaiah so there's in that context though in romans one it's not um israel as much as the idea that the world itself images forth shows the glory of the handwork of god and therefore there's some kind of understanding that should have been derived from creation but was given over to idolatries and then because of that uh i forget what you you gave us two kind of ways of of reading the section but the darkness of their mind meant then they darkened their the the sinfulness then came right yes exactly right and you know and and um John Chrysostom sort of frames his reading of that passage by the two words that show up, I think, in the very first verse of that section of Romans 1, ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness meaning turning away from the true God to idols, and then unrighteousness being living a depraved life. And how in both of these, God was testifying to man of the, um, you know, of the true way, of the way of life and salvation, of goodness, and they quite deliberately and determinedly, not as a matter of passion, and Chrysostom really analyzes the words that the apostle uses here, say, he's not saying, oh, you were caught up in this passion, you just, you were carried away. It's like, no, you made a business of it, of your idolatry and your sin, um, it was a determination, and it, it speaks of how it grew out of their substituting their own reasonings for what God had revealed. And so with that as the lead-in, we begin here with, therefore you are inexcusable, O man. And I think that word inexcusable perhaps sums up the real point that Chrysostom sees in um in the apostle's line of reasoning here. I mean, he said many good and lovely things about history and man and the creation and revelation, but the real argument he's making here is the Greeks, the pagans have no excuse. But you may remember that his larger plan is to argue against some of the pretensions of the, the Jews and the Jewish believers at this time. And so he's setting up a context in which he can make the other points. So anyway, what else do you see here in these 11 verses? Can you sum up the line of argument here? Well, in the uh, Orthodox Bible, it says one of the sub things is the natural morality and actual sinfulness of all. Mm-hmm. And then there's the basis of God's judgment, I guess, that's maybe in the chapter. It, it, one of the things that really hits home during liturgies, and it points it out on the basis of God's judgment, is for a good defense before the dread judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That one I crossed myself three times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. 
And I, it sounds. Sorry, go ahead, Reed. No, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, I mean, it, <laughs> he's now turned to his choir. No, no offense, Mark, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that you mean a different kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 now turned to you know those who are like yeah. <laughs> judgment against the Gentiles. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> uh, you think you're going to judge, but you better watch out when you start thinking that you've got a hold on that judgment on those, uh, the obvious things that they, they've done. But now we're going to turn it around on those who should know better and not even the idolatry of the Gentiles, but then the faithlessness of, of the, the Jew. He, yeah, sounds, and, he sounds a little like James. He does somewhat. Yes. This is works. He talks, mm -hmm. he, he talks about works. Uh, I, 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 uh, verse six, talking about God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Mm-hmm. You know, and even the first verse, therefore, you are an excusable old man, whoever you are who judge. For whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Mm -hmm. But we know the judgment of God is according to against those who practice such things. I mean, he's really put, it just seems to me he's really pushing action as opposed to spouting righteousness. And Chrysostom emphasizes this point as well, that the judgment is by deeds, it is by works, and a great deal of what else the Apostle Paul talks about here is in contrast to works. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to go back to this word inexcusable. Look through this passage and look at the ways in which the Apostle Paul is depriving of excuse the, in this part of it, the Greeks whom he's speaking about. How do you see him doing that? I think it's a warning of watch your pride because if you, you there's, it's inexcusable uh, for, be, for judging others. Uh, that uh, you can sit there with arrogance and, and see others and forget to see yourself. Kind of like what verse five, the hardness and impenitent heart. Right. If you're going to yeah. judge, then you bet you're, you have a hard and impenitent heart as well. But notice what he's saying here. He's not warning people against judging He's talking about judging to a different end. Mm -hmm. Judging so you condemn yourself? Is that what you're in verse 1? Right. That the point here is not don't judge others. The point is you do judge others. And therefore, how can you imagine that you will find any excuse before God on the day of judgment? Because obviously you knew better. Exactly. That's, that sums it up very nicely. The point is, you know these things are wrong. How do you know that you know? Because you judge other people for doing it. 
<laughs> okay, you have no Thank excuse. You. Here come the judge. <laughs> and so he's saying, now, and Chrysostom will go through and say, now in this world, lots of people are never brought to judgment for things that they do because they remain hidden from men. But we all know it's not going to be that way with God. And he emphasizes the day when God will judge men's secrets, not just their, their deeds, but their secrets. There's nothing going to be hidden. And, um, you know, the, the judgment is according to truth. God knows all the truth. And, um, you know, so he says in verse three, do you think that if you're judging people for doing these things, that you're going to escape God's judgment as though somehow he's going to miss the things that you already notice? And then there's something a little different in verse four. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And Chrysostom sees this as the Apostle Paul addressing a bad line of reasoning that was popular in his day, evidently, and popular in, in our own. Can you see what that line of reasoning might be? God's grace is sufficient to cover all my sins, so why not just kind of revel in it a little bit? Yeah, exactly. God is good. He's not going to judge. He's patient and long-suffering. It doesn't matter what I do. And what does the, uh, the Apostle Paul here say in rebuke to that line of thinking? You're actually treasuring uh, for yourself wrath. You're not actually um, storing up for yourself blessings, but you're storing up for yourself wrath. Because what was the what is the point of God's patience and long suffering? That it will finally sink in. <laughs> <laughs> repentance and repentance. That's right. So God is good and long suffering and patient. Why? To draw us to repentance. That's the proper response, and it's a wonderful safe haven for those who respond in repentance. But if you don't, then you are treasuring up for yourself wrath. As and uh, Chrysostom says here, it's not that God is doing this to you. You're the one treasuring it up. You're storing it up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And Chrysostom will also point out that where the apostle uses the word wrath, he quickly follows it by righteous judgment to, uh, so that no one would imagine this is going to be a passionate response on God's part. It is rather a, a righteous judgment and a revelation, simply showing what's true. Well, it seems to parallel, because we've already encountered the judgment of the righteous judgment of God in the first chapter, mm -hmm. that is revealed uh, against the Gentile, those who are supposed to know from nature, but now you have the righteous judgment is um, revealed against those who should know better and have the law in order to judge, uh, but they don't get to escape the judgment just because they have knowledge of the law. Right. Which I, I think is part of what will build into, oh, well, we're going to get there. Sorry, I'm already jumping ahead without realizing who's going to hit this. <laughs> well, that's fine. Yet. I mean, 
he's already hinting at it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because even in this passage, he talks about for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Right. So, um, yeah, but I think so, it helps underline that the law itself is good, mm -hmm. but it does not bring life. It can only really point to death. Mm -hmm. Or the what is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> why is that? Why, why do we say that? I mean, if we, if the law, what's lacking in the law? The spirit? Or, and I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the law is kind of like a um, manifestation of goodness, but it's not goodness. It's not Christ. So I use Christ as the example against the law. Like the law points and says, this is what's wrong. But Christ is the one who actually empowers us or allow to actually overcome and bring life into the situation instead of the law just has no power to actually resurrect, has no power to actually bring life. It's Christ the power of the Holy Spirit who will allow us to do that, which is why it had to be God in the flesh. Sorry, we'll, we'll hit that later in Romans too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I often think, I believe it was St. Irenaeus who said, the law was like a torch on a dark night. And thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, but the coming of the son of God was like the sun rising. Mm -hmm. And so the law was a great blessing in the darkness, but once the sun rises, a torch is kind of a nuisance and you get rid of it. So that's pretty strong. Yeah. It's a lovely picture. So, um, Chrysostom points, he studies a lot of the words in here. For instance, in verse seven, he talks about immortality and he says, now actually all souls are immortal. And so he adds, so he says the apostle adds these words, glory and honor to distinguish between those who will rise to judgment and condemnation and those who will rise to, to reward. And he says that words like glory and honor, they feel kind of bright to us, but all he's trying to do is indicate blessings and glories beyond anything we have words for. And he'll look at verse eight and something like they're self-seeking and they do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. And again, he'll look at these words like obey unrighteousness and say, this is not people being carried away by the passion of the moment. This is a determined obedience. People give themselves over to this. Um, and then we, in verse nine, we begin to pick up again this theme, the Jew first and also for the Greek. And uh, you know what Chrysostom sees in this is, you know, Ultimately, the apostle is trying to deny that the Jew has any advantage over the Greek and to deny the importance of a lot of what the Jews clung to, such as the law and circumcision. Why is it important to say Jew first, also of the Greek? I mean, they say it twice in that. 
because the Jews had the word first with the law, even though it was uh, insufficient. Chrysostom's take on this is that this is Paul, uh, this is, yes, the Paul trying to argue in a way that will be palatable to the Jews. And so he kind of gives them a little uh, encouragement uh, by saying these good things, glory, honor, and, and immortality will go first to the Jew, but then also to the Greek. So they have a certain eminence of uh, chronology, if you will. They, 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 they come first, but um, they don't really. Well, they did more. receive the word first. So, you know, it, it's kind of maybe an honor or, or just respect. Right. Okay. Uh, I, like, yeah. I think it also goes to uh, chapter one, verse 17, where the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, where you said that Chrysostom, when his explanation of faith to faith is the faith of Israel, then to the faith of the Gentiles. So yeah. they're, they're always our older brothers in the faith. Mm-hmm. Because they received and were chosen, and that's how it is. And uh, Chrysostom then sort of finishes this section uh, saying that the, the apostle in verse 11 kind of clinches his argument, saying, For there is no partiality with God, which should be obvious. And he, he says, The point here is, God doesn't care a man who, care who a man is, he cares what he's done. Now, would someone be willing then to well, read that's, the rest? It's obvious to us, if I may. Mm-hmm. It was not av- obvious to the ancients. Uh, the ancients, and of course, there were a lot of gods besides Yahweh. There was a great deal of partiality, right? So, so. The, the, the Chrysostom seems to take it that for the Apostle Paul, he was stating something that would be self-evident to his audience. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I see that point too, but at least Chrysostom seemed to think that after Paul has essentially already bolstered the argument from several sides, he's then saying something everyone would understand. God doesn't show partiality. Huh. Okay. Well, okay. I'm probably being influenced by, I'm right in the middle of a study of the Iliad. And, and so ah. there's a great deal of partiality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. would someone be uh, up for reading for us the rest of this section, verses 12 through 16? I could do that. Oh, go ahead, dude. No, oh, no, if somebody else wants to do it, go ahead. Okay, I can do it. For as many as, can you hear me okay? Yes. As many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Thank you. There you go again. It's not what you say, it's what you do. 
That's right. But let's talk about the law here for a minute. Does the apostle, is he speaking in favor of the law or against it? Ask that again, Reed. Says, is the apostle Paul here speaking for the law or against it? Does he honor it or is he kind of denigrating it? I think he's kind of honoring a little bit because he's talking about like who who show the work of the law written in their hearts. I mean, they might not know it, but they show it. So I don't think he's really bashing it any. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with that. He says, for as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So, you know, that seems to be honoring the law. And then and then he proceeds, as Mark said, to talk about people who honor the law, even though they don't know what the law is. So mm -hmm. to me, that's showing respect for the law. Yeah, he certainly seems to be speaking in favor of it. And Chrysostom takes it that this is the Apostle Paul's continuing effort to make his, well, to, to defend himself against the accusations of the Jews who might say, hey, you're treating the law badly. And so here he affirms it greatly. But do you notice how he starts to play around with just what, what do we mean by the law? <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you that part in parentheses, you've got to read it three or four times because you can, you can, I can get lost and go like, all I read was words. <laughs> it really, uh, <laughs> yes. a powerful lot of things are said right in there. But it, it's striking well, it's, here. Go ahead. I mean, it's always, what does he mean by law? There's a lot of law in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So he's not just talking about Leviticus. He's not just talking about Deuteronomy. He's not just talking about parts of Exodus. He's kind of talking about the whole bit of what God revealed to Israel, it would seem to me here. I don't know how you could justify saying it's because I, I remember growing up that we'd have arguments about is it the ceremonial law? Is it the like the Ten Command like the Ten Commandments or something different than the sacrifice of bulls? And I think all of that was semantics of not being able to actually understand. Like he, I think he means the whole revelation of what Israel had to be guided by God, to do the will of God as much as they possibly could via those institutions, especially the law, the scriptures, and the temple and all of that. But the Gentiles are able to fulfill and do what God wills as well um, without the law, even though they didn't know, they didn't have that help. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the pedagogue as he uses it in a different uh, epistle. Yes, and I think, and Chrysostom's really going to talk about this uh, at the end of the, of the chapter. But I think you see the point he makes there showing up here as well. Verse 14, though they don't have the law, they are a law for themselves. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts. It's like somehow they can have access to all the benefits of the law without ever having been instructed by the, the thing that the Jews meant by the law. I, I think this is also, go ahead, David, were you about to? 
Well, I'm just sitting here thinking you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the law. Right? And you don't, I would say that's a summation. That's a way to like boil it down. Well, that's what I mean, though. That that's that's what I mean. Everything else, then everything else is detail. Every, everything else, everything else is a way that you, that 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 you execute upon that. But if fundamentally your behavior is directed, your behavior reactions and 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 and, and your thoughts and, and and your prayers are directed towards loving God more than anything else and, and, and doing to other people as you would have them do unto you. I think that's what he's, I think uh, to me, that's what I hear when I, when I read this. So that's, that's the Gentiles who, who, uh, who are doing the things of the law. That's the law unto themselves. That's the law written on their hearts. Haven't we often heard that look into the heart and that's where you'll find Jesus or your God or we've, uh, and maybe the Pharisees were trying to follow the law by dividing even their mint for a tithe and, and everything, but and thought that they were doing good because they were leading the law, but they were still missing something. So uh, mm -hmm. I think there's there's trying to be a warning there that you can follow the law, but be careful as you follow because you can fall into your own trap uh, of reason of your own reasoning instead of god's reasoning i'm yeah. intrigued by the word law because then we got earthly law and is that something different that's that is something different that we're maybe not uh, a sub like you said subset i, mean, we have I guess i'm also intrigued by this discussion because i used to be a prosecutor <laughs> uh back back in the day that's, that's a long time ago but there's a thing called prosecute, prosecutorial discretion, where you did not prosecute a crime, even though even though by the books the crime has been committed, you do not prosecute it. But to do that, you've got to have prosecutorial discretion. You've got to understand the difference between what's written down in black and white and what the law itself actually is. You have to understand what the purpose is, what the intent is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of responding to this in that way too. Yeah, and I mean, certainly you see uh, elsewhere in Scripture the you know the uh, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now I think it's interesting here. I'd I'd like to read to you one little passage from what John Chrysostom wrote, because he looks at this passage um, starting in verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, well, now what he says is the Apostle Paul's natural way of finishing that thought would have been this, for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, they are much better than those who are instructed by the law. Mm -hmm. So he sees because that as sort of, he sees that as the natural yeah. direction of what the apostle is saying, and that he diverts it from saying that because that would have been thoroughly unpalatable to the Jews. And so he simply says, Ah, oh, they are 
you know, they're a law to themselves. Do. They're a law to themselves. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts. And so he sees the Apostle Paul as constantly sort of indicating a line of thinking that his audience really ought to finish for themselves, but he doesn't say it, you know, plainly, explicitly, so as not to alienate his hearers. Um, very good. Which is, it's, it's very interesting to read scripture that way, thinking a great deal of what's important here is not being said for the sake of the listeners. Um, and then it's like, so I need someone like John, St. John Chrysostom to tell me, so how, what was the real thought there? <laughs> so I think okay. what you just said is in reading scriptures, you need to be very conscious of who the audience was that the scripture is directed to. Because that's going to have an impact on the way that it's written. Yes? Right. Where they take it. But I also become really conscious that I live in a culture so impossibly far removed from this one. Yeah. And I'm so completely unacquainted with the rhetorical conventions and the concerns he might have been dealing with. It's like, I, I need a good guide. So that's why I'm glad to. <laughs> to, to turn to the saint here for a reading of this. Well, as when people come to orthodoxy, don't does, isn't that same kind of bridge cross? And what are you doing with the Theotokos? Mm -hmm. What are all these icons? You know, isn't there kind of this? It, it, maybe somewhat different, but there's still that battle of uh, what is truth or what is real. Uh, they've been they they were growing up taught one way, then they come to an Orthodox church and see this incredible expanse of, well, richness, I want to say, but to them, it's just like almost, they, they might think of it almost as blasphemy. It's like, well, are you kidding? Save us. That can blow some minds away, mm -hmm. but I have no trouble. Is, is, isn't that why they have sponsors? Yeah. And go through a catechumenate and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Certainly a big part well, of why I became make... Orthodox. I, I oh, agree, man. Mark. That fits my own experience. So I'm just saying what Paul was dealing with, maybe not as well, it, it still kind of exists, I, I think, is that political type roping, religious political type roping of how do you explain the truth? Mm -hmm. well, we see it. Well, let's go ahead and move on then to this next section. Would someone read for us, please, verses 17 through 24? I'll do it. Thank you. I was waiting for David, but he didn't. <laughs> I'm not going to volunteer anymore. I keep getting interrupted, so I'm just not going to volunteer anymore. 17 through 24? Yes, please. And then I'll read Indeed. 25 to the end. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. There we go. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? 
You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Thank you. I can't help it, but I kept going, do as I say and not as I do. <laughs> well, yes. And so we sort of reach a point. I'm sorry. I heard someone. No, nope, okay. go ahead. So the, the Apostle Paul has reached a point here at which he has thoroughly dealt with any prospect that the um, that the Gentiles could be excused for either their idolatry or their manner of living. Um, and has shown, but you know, those who did respond well uh, and, and, and worshiped correctly, the, then they were as acceptable as the Jews were. But now he kind of turns a corner here and in verse 17 begins talking to the Jews. And um, St. John Chrysostom says here, he begins an argument very similar to what we see at the beginning of chapter 2 directed at the Greeks. And his argument is again about, you also are inexcusable because you also know better and here's how we know you know better. So look at verses 17 through 20. Look at the language there and see what does the apostle say about the obedience of these Jews to the law? Could you ask that question again? I'm sorry, I was deep in thought. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it was a long way of phrasing a simple question. In verses 17 through 20, what mention do you see the Apostle Paul making of the obedience to the law by these Jews? Oh, I see it. In, I see his criticism in subsequent verses, but in these particular verses. But. What, he, he, what, he, talk, he talks about self-confidence because uh, you know the law, uh, you make your boast that you know his will and you approve the things that are excellent because you've been instructed in the law. And that makes you very confident that you're a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. Exactly. So in fact, the Apostle Paul says nothing about their obedience. It's all about what? Their self-image. What's that? Their knowing of the law. Right. It's about their knowledge, what they call themselves, what they're confident of, but not a word about obedience. Ah. And he says, not only do they know the law, what do they do with it? teach others <laughs> they teach it yeah they teach it to others uh oh and so you know you are therefore inexcusable <laughs> going back to verse one you who mm -hmm. know what it says so well that you teach it to others and you're highly confident in it you better be careful here reed <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm very conscious that somewhere in here uh saint john chrysostom points out the apostle paul i think where he talks about first for the jews then for the gentiles well you know 
every benefit you received is something you're responsible for in your works. And he says that very generally. So, you know, if you're rich, you're responsible to give more. If you're wise, you're responsible to live better. Yeah. It's kind of like, huh, you've become orthodox. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it would be easier to not be orthodox. I agree with that. <laughs> so, yes, I, I, I recognize that I'm, you know, <laughs> in danger of condemning myself here. Yeah. Oh, so, it, was just a it was just a tease. No disrespect meant. You understand no, no, that. No, no, it's a point well made. Yeah. You know, I there's two things about this section that um, this is a, a uh, study Bible that I saw people referring to and saying it's called Cultural Background Study Bible. And it brings a lot of, um, so the footnotes, there's a lot of footnotes and little subjects. For example, Back in Romans 1, it has a whole side note about homosexual activity in antiquity. So it goes into detail about what actually was typical at that time, which doesn't really map on to. It's very different what was going on back then than what right. we would consider now. But this whole section is a, a diatribe and rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is over the top rhetoric in order to drive the point home, which is why all these questions, right? Right. So he's yeah. building up his case. And then the other thing that they say in the background, it's something from Josephus, but apparently before, especially with verse 24, a generation before um, Paul, you know, writing this to the Romans, there was a Jewish teacher who was recognized as a charlatan and brought a bunch of shame uh, upon the Jewish people in Rome. So they're wondering if in the background you have, you know, uh, these Jews in Rome would be remembering how uh, you had somebody who was not very famous charlatan in Rome, Jewish charlatan in Rome, who's been exposed. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that he wasn't doing what he was preaching. Uh, and they brought a lot of dishonor and blaspheming God among the Gentiles. Because if you're going to take the position of Israel vis-a-vis uh, -vis Rome, pagan Rome, you're going to be taking some very strong positions about morality and how you're supposed to live. So if you mm -hmm. aren't living that way. <laughs> Boy, I would argue that verse 24 is very, very true today. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who are absolutely disgusted with, uh, with Christianity and, uh, either refuse to believe in God or hate God because of the, uh, I've got to remember this is public, so I got to watch my language. <laughs> because of the characters that, that you see on cable TV, the, the so-called faith healers and, 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 and uh, the, the con men. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that are that, that are running the con in the name of God. Y'all knew what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, I want to say the 700 Club, but uh, I hate to just pick on one. But there's an awful there's an awful lot of them, and they even have networks now. They just don't have you know, TV shows. They got they've got whole networks, and so that's what I'm thinking of. That, David. Can huh? I take you back? I, I'm, 
can I piggyback on that as well with another, you know, so you have that, then you also have how intertwined a lot of politics can be with religion too, where you've yes. got a lot of blessing of all sorts of, and this goes across the aisle both ways on all sorts of things to use religion to, you know, not just about moral things, but going beyond, way beyond that. So yeah. I agree. A lot of folks I know and uh, Eric and I's generation who said Sayonara because they could not square two and two with what they grew up being taught. And then what is allowed now is public discourse or ways of being. Yes. That's the only very disconnected from the teachings of scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should we move to the next section unless you have something else to read? Or? Well, let me just mention, uh, again, the way uh, John Chrysostom reads this, he, um, he says that the, the natural way to, to continue from the end of verse 20 would have been to say that the Jews possessing the law and, in fact, teaching the law deserve a greater punishment for breaking it but once again, he kind of pulls his punches here and just starts asking questions. Yeah. And it's, again, sort of a rhetorical technique for making his point without rubbing his audience's faces in it. So right. then, uh, so David, would you... Did they rub their face in it? I feel <laughs> like these questions are rubbing their face in it. No, I agree. I, 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 I agree with what Reed said. I agree with what Reed said. The, the, the rhetorical question, you know, is, is, is a softer blow than the direct attack. It, it, it really yeah, is. that's true. Because you're not direct, you're not pointing at anybody. Uh, 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 you're just asking you who preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? That's different than pointing a finger directly at somebody and saying you're a thief. He, he didn't say, may I see a show of hands after each other? <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. So it's a way of calling out. You guys out are giving me a lot of preaching ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is an awful good preacher. Yeah. He's a master of rhetorical technique. I, I really, I, I, I admire Paul a great deal in his rhetorical technique. His rhetorical technique is excellent. Yeah, he, he, he really, he, he really, he really is. You know. Speaking of which, David, would you be so kind as to read for us twenty-five through the end here? Uh, sure. We'll put a guard on our mouth. Yep. <laughs> You're all too good to me. For a circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. 
that's now, really that's that's just really good writing uh, now let me ask you a question here we've heard one like it before is the apostle speaking favorably or unfavorably of being circumcised and bearing the name of Jew. Yeah, I think he's good. speaking favorably. He is speaking favorably, there's no right? With the law. Yeah, there's no. no problem with the law. Right. No. He's speaking favorably of them. So, um, how important are circumcision and being a Jew to uh, you know, receiving praise from God here to coming out well in the judgment. How important are they? Huh? <laughs> I didn't so, quite follow. So we're seeing circumcision is a good thing. Being a Jew is a good thing. Wonderful. Yeah. So now, are those things beneficial? Are they crucial in? You know, in, in, in being saved, in being, you know, uh, re received and accepted by God. Not if you're not actually honoring and keeping the covenant. Yeah. Right. It's so, just outward symbols of something. It's not an actual, it's kind of like being baptized when you're a baby and then never, you know, striving to live as a Christian after that. You know, that's great that you're baptized, but. You aren't, <laughs> you aren't living into your baptism. Yes. Right. So if you're a Gentile, a Greek, not a Jew, not circumcised, and you live carefully and well according to the law, how do you stand before God? Better than the Jew who doesn't keep it. That's right. Yeah. And if you are circumcised and you are called a Jew and you live in a way that breaks the law, well, then you're going to be judged by the other one. Yeah, judgment comes to the household of God first, to quote a completely different epistle. But. <laughs> <laughs> and so what uh, St. John Chrysostom sees going on here is that the Apostle Paul is giving no, no place for his enemies to attack him. He's affirming the goodness of circumcision and of being a Jew, while at the same time, arguing in such a way that shows neither one was of any importance. Because yeah, I noticed the section that said it's circumcision is if a, a, a circumcision of no avail. I, I, of course, that's, that's intentionally abbreviated. But the thought I'm getting is circumcision is of no avail in and of itself. You know? I'm thinking of uh, those different gangster movies I've seen about, you know, the Italian mafia, <laughs> where they all wear crucifixes. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, that doesn't mean anything in and of itself. Now I'm going to have Joe Pesci in my head all night. Thanks, David. Uh, you're, wel you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. It could be worse. It's <laughs> interesting you bring that up because there's a Denzel Washington who I like very much. Uh, and he works at a so-called Home Depot kind of place. And he's sort of a vigilante. And, and one of them, there's a young girl, and she's Russian, but she's part of a prostitution ring. And he goes to the guys that control these women to free her. 
and there's the Theotokos on the wall. It, and all of them got these heavy tattoos, and their tattoos are crosses and things like that, or skulls oh, yeah. too. But it, it, it's like, well, you know, our babas <laughs> or grandmothers uh, raised us this way, but because it's part of our culture, but it's just there as a symbol. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's yeah. like, it, it, it doesn't mean anything really. It's just amazing that it's there. I was thinking of so Donnie Brasco, actually. Uncircumcised in that <laughs> same boat. Well, and you see how the apostle begins to kind of um, change the meaning of the terms. It's like circumcision. Circumcision is a really good thing. But the circumcision that is a really good thing is the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. To be a Jew is a good thing. But what makes you a Jew? Oh, it's, it's something inward. <laughs> and suddenly he's wanting to make these, gent these faithful Gentiles into circumcised Jews. Reed, does, um, does Chrysostom comment that what Paul is doing here, maybe not in regard to the specific issue of Jew and you know Gentile as Christianity, but this is a very Jewish argument. Hmm. This is due to, you know, I was blown away in high school. I remember, you know, we were taught the way, and it's probably my misunderstanding more than anything else of, you know, the Old Testament is kind of this moral thing and it's all about kind of even weirdly they would use moral examples but it's all kind of outward stuff and in christianity it's kind of spiritual and internal and i think they th were thinking of passages like this but if you pick up the book of deuteronomy and if you actually pay attention to the psalms <laughs> and the prophets mm -hmm. this is not the paul is not making some novel argument does Chrysostom pick up on that at all? Or it, I just think it's because you can have this tendency, especially with the history that's gone on since, you know, um, and all the history between Israel, you know, Judaism and Christianity, where it's like this is it gets really bad. I mean, obviously, you can think about Germany and that, but there's very much this like Judaism is outward stuff and Christianity is inward stuff. And I don't see that in the Jewish scriptures. Well, yeah, and I mean, even this phrase, circumcision of the heart, it shows up three places in the Old Testament. This was not right. novel to Paul. Right. Um, it's Deuteronomy. And uh, John Chrysostom, it seems like he says just a very little bit about the outward nature of Judaism as it was practiced, but it's not, it's certainly not something he emphasizes. Is it kind of a Paul's trying to awaken them to, because of Christ, the transition that's happening here. And the, the example is what uh, the circumcision circumcision of the flesh has been converted, because a number of things have been converted, and it's all good. It didn't make anything bad, but it's just trying to help them understand there's a transition going on here once we, we know the Son of the God and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Well, as Chrysostom reads it, he seems to see these past two chapters as being primarily referring to Jews and Gentiles before the coming of Christ, before the time of grace. So as to minimize the notion that there was actually this huge transition when Christ came. 
So as though the apostle is trying to avoid giving the appearance that suddenly this gospel is a new thing that is hostile to the Jews and their practices and all. And so yes. he's saying instead, no, this is this is how things always were, even before the times of grace. That's almost exactly what he says in verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And he's talking about being a Jew, not being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. I mean, he's he, he's just he just flat out says that he's he, that 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 clause. He's not talking about Christianity. He's talking about what a Jew is. Well, that that whole sentence. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. And and, and I just want to throw something in here out of left field, which is where I spend my life. Uh, <laughs> I can't help but think of Solzhenitsyn. And the great Solzhenitsyn talking about being in prison, and it was not until he was laying on the bed of straw. And he realized that the line between good and evil does not run between peoples or between nations or between religions or between men, but that it runs through every human heart. And who wants to cut out a piece of his own heart? And this is just really resonate me with, with me because I think who wants to cut out a piece of his own heart? Circumcision of the heart. You know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. My Solzhenitsyn's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> Older I get, the more I... The battle of the soul and the mind. Sorry, sorry, over. sorry you were, we were mute, muted. Uh, we've often heard of, of the battle of, of the, the heart and the soul and the mind, or how's that go? There's, your heart's usually in battle with your, your mind, and your mind can have its own thoughts and wrong thoughts instead of letting your heart uh, <coughs> be the guide. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's maybe what they're referring to as the circumcision of the skin at one time before through all that had been revealed, which uh, uh, until Christ came, and so then the change is now the circumcision, not the physical circumcision of the heart, but more of the uh, letting the heart open, uh, not not uh, not keeping the stone in front of the tomb, <laughs> Let, letting letting the stone be rolled away so that Christ is resurrected within. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So that sort of, in some sense, gets us through the chapter. Folks have other comments on the passage or like maybe what might, uh, how we might respond to this well? Well, one thing, when we got on the word law and, and, and Father, you asked, you know, we, we went, well, what is the law? In this Orthodox study Bible, it's got the law, you know, and it's got six. And I'll say them real quick. There's the Mosaic law, there's the natural law, there's the law of works, the law of faith, the law of sin, and the law of the spirit. I'm like, so there's the laws. Sounds like a lot of homework. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're going to hit all of those here in Romans, too. Yeah, it is. That's a, it, it points yeah, to the chapter. Yeah. Well, I think the reference here is to the Mosaic law, though, isn't it? Not, is it, is it not, isn't that basically what he's referring to, is the Mosaic but law? You also got natural law through all of this. Yeah, yeah. Because I, this is something that's going to 
I think they're in their mind and in the wisdom literature of Israel, and even if you understand temple theology and how we have this tendency to think of Mosaic law as kind of almost like abstract legal thinking like later when I, I, when David is that, that summary of, you know, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, that the Mosaic law and the natural law are kind of, um, I almost want to say like cocooned within each other. The Mosaic mm -hmm. law just brings what is implicit and makes it explicit. It is something that, um, uh, it's why it's a pedagogue to lead us to Christ, who himself has the Lugoi, you know, the, the reasonings, the law of all of nature is summed up in Jesus Christ. So I think they all are related to each other. There's this kind of, there can be a tendency to see natural law as some kind of different thing from Mosaic law, and I, but I think they're all interconnected they're just being more explicit mm. over time you know historically but now we see in jesus christ uh the truth of the created order which is what the natural law is a reflection of well part of my problem is i went to law school <laughs> so and, when you hear I, these words you think i'm sorry so you when you hear words like law you it has to go through your filter no, no, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say, I was taught natural law, and I was taught to use natural law. Right. And well, I was, taught that, I was taught that the Mosaic law is an expression of the natural law. Yeah. But, the, but I was taught that the concept of natural law is a concept that there's a universal innate sense of right and wrong uh, that crosses cultures and crosses religions. It... it Try and find a culture that doesn't forbid murder. Uh, <laughs> it's David, you went to law school a long time ago. I think you might be hard pressed in <laughs> <laughs> certain places now to defend natural law. Uh, Even in divinity school, they poo pooed natural law. Well, okay, fine. But, but I'll think... stick with Cicero and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah. think C.S. Lewis. Um, in mere Christianity even makes um, a, a very similar argument that, you know, you look across religions, philosophies, whatever, you see a very consistent collection of ideas about how men ought to live. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the Tao in the yes. abolition of men. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. yeah, that's part of yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because he didn't want to commit to logos, right? He wanted to choose something different. Right. Yeah. I need to reread that. It's been a while. Well, should we come to a conclusion here? Or... Sounds yes. good. Should we end with prayer? Yeah. Wonderful. Lord, now let us have thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I just thought, apropos of what we just did, that that was probably the right <laughs> <laughs> hymn from the New Testament for the Jew and the Greek. Yes. <laughs>